Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. Hello, and welcome to Season 3, Episode Number 1 of The Lift. We're happy to be back. We've been gone for a little while, but we have some great stuff planned for you this season, some new authors, some of your favorites, and we're excited to say a bunch of new voices. Some of the folks that you may have heard on The Wicked Library and No Sleep are joining us to help bring the lift to life this season. A special thank you to everyone who has taken the time to rate and review the show on iTunes, and also to those folks who are supporting the show on Patreon. We do have 10 episodes planned this season. But if 10 doesn't feel like enough, we do have some Patreon goals set this season. We're able to do more episodes with more support. We also have a couple other secret projects planned that I'm not quite ready to tell you about just yet. But suffice it to say that there's going to be some really cool stuff coming up this season and later this year. Today's episode is told by Mike Delgadio, featuring the voice talents of yours truly and Amber Collins. This story was written by returning author. Scarlet R. Algy. And we also have a beautiful custom score written by our good friend Nico from We Talk of Dreams. Now, let's not dally and delay. We'll let Scarlet say hello, and then we'll go for a ride. Hi, this is Scarlet R. Algy, and I'm the author of today's story, Bombshell. If you enjoy this one, you can find more of my work at scarletralgy.wordpress.com. And as always, Find more episodes of The Lift at victoriouslift.com. Let's go for a ride. My name is Victoria. I have lost so much. My name is Victoria. I am bound to this place, charged with guiding those who must choose. Don't be afraid. I can never again be the little girl I was. Will you accept your fate? I have my music box and a library lost. But I sometimes feel very alone. Won't you join me? It's time for your ride on the lift. <laughs> Don't be afraid. What wakes Harry is the silence. He opens his eyes to a leak-stained ceiling, but everything's too bright, and he closes them again, trying to push past the cotton-wool thickness in his head to sort out exactly why the quiet is wrong. There's a sour iron taste on the back of his tongue, like he's held a mouthful of old coins. There's no background noise. That's it. Harry opens his eyes another fraction. He's lying on a bed in an unfamiliar room, in the Bonner Hotel, if the fleur-de-lis stamped on the ceiling tiles are any indication. But there's no usual ambiance. No footsteps or ceiling fan or air conditioning hum. There's just the startled rasp of his own breathing and the corner of his smartphone digging into his hip inside his pocket. And the weight of another body on the bed. Harry turns his head, frowning. 
For a moment, he's profoundly dizzy and his vision blurs, but then solidifies. The woman lying beside him, covered to the chin by a loose black sheet as brunette, immaculately made up, her mouth candy apple red and her eyelashes crisp with mascara. Her lips are parted and there's a crimson smear on one perfect tooth. He doesn't think he's seen her before. He doesn't even remember coming here. He doesn't remember coming here or bringing a woman or anything that can tell him why he's lying in his clothes on a bed in a silent hotel room with someone he doesn't recognize. His last memory is of standing in front of his boss's office door and feeling a sudden cold sting in his neck. Like a a needle? He's been drugged? Kidnapped? But why? This place closed last year. Belated understanding brings him more fully awake. Harry sits up and his right shoulder is jerked painfully. There's a handcuff snugged around his wrist, attached to a steel chain like a dog's leash that leads somewhere under the bed. He tugs against it, but the cuff digs into his skin just above the first joint of his thumb and won't budge further. He shifts on the mattress, heart picking up, sweating. Something shifts with him and rolls against his thigh. The woman hasn't stirred. Harry glances at her, then at the object, and pulls it into his lap with his left hand. It's a roll of leather, and he fumbles it open with clumsy fingers to find a set of steak knives, gleaming blades of various widths, their serrated edges like broken shark smiles. I don't understand, he says hoarsely. Harry looks back to the woman. His sitting up should have woken her, but she still hasn't moved. Has she been drugged too? He reaches out with his free hand to touch her face. The motion turns her head toward him limply. She's cold. She's not breathing. There's a small, livid-edged hole in her left temple, and a thick black thread of blood has sludged backwards into her hair. His phone rings. (gasps) Harry shrieks, almost voiceless and instinctively starts to his feet. His chain tether jerks him down, and his knees bang painfully on the worn gray carpet, his forehead just missing the edge of the bedside table. His eyes shut again, and he exhales a ragged breath, heart stumbling against his ribs, sweat pouring. The smartphone trills again, breaking a tiny sob from his parched lips, and with effort he rests enough slack in his restraint to pull the phone loose and thumb the screen. Hello? Harry. He knows the voice. It's Conrad from work. Conrad, who's somehow the right hand of their boss, Joseph Kurtz, though Harry can't recall ever seeing the man do anything. I take it you found our present. Conrad! God! Conrad! You have to help me! Harry has almost no saliva, and when the words register, even that dries up. Present? Do you like her, Harry? Conrad is smiling. Harry can hear it in his voice can picture it, in fact. The perfect teeth, perfect fake tan, perfectly parted blonde hair. Lola, you might have known her. She was in Human Resources. Shame, really, but she was convenient. Harry swallows, looking back over his shoulder at Lola. Conrad, what's going on? Why is this happening? Oh, Harry, honey, you know. There's a hint of laughter in Conrad's voice. One that becomes more than a hint when Harry whimpers. Look, uh, okay, 
Look, if this is about the money, I- Of course it's about the money. Conrad's friendliness gives abrupt way to a hard edge. You don't skim off the top, Harry. Not with Kurtz. You knew better. You may be an accountant. You may even be a pretty good one. But you're not that good. The laugh comes back out, this time a short, sharp bark. <laughs> it's the assumption that hurts, you know? Mr. Kurtz doesn't appreciate people thinking he's stupid. I... Harry's heart taps painful double time against his sternum. He'd assumed just that thing, had assumed his wide-bodied, pig-eyed boss was the idiot he resembled. It had been a correct assumption with some of his others in the past. He worked his jaws, trying to think fast as whatever he'd been doped with burns off. So, what happens now? The cops show up, they find me, they find... Lola? He chokes on her name. And they assume the worst? That's a neat, convenient package. Conrad muses. And Mr. Kurtz wants to make an example of you. Only, not quite like that. He pauses. Sucks his teeth. No one's gonna look for you there, Harry. That hotel's been closed 15 months. It's scheduled for demolition tomorrow. Harry's chest constricts. His ribcage is too tight. And there's Lola. Conrad must be grinning like a jackal. Isn't she a beauty? Kurt's got a clever idea. There's a bomb in her. The blood drains from Harry's face with a palpable loss of heat. A what? A bomb, Harry. Goes boom. One of the IT guys rigged it. Conrad's smug now. That's why you have the knives, Harry. Nice knives. Japanese carbon steel. Got them at Sears myself. You cut her open and find that bomb, you might have a chance. Give it an on-off switch just for you. Just a little amateur surgery between you and freedom. Mr. Kurtz believes in fairness, Harry, even if you don't. Get in there. Turn it off. Prove you can do something. He's willing to let everything go. I'll even come and unlock your cuff and take you home myself. The affable facade drops again. Three minutes. The call disconnects. Harry stares at his phone, aghast, but slowly gets to his feet, sitting back on the bed. Jostling the thin mattress with his weight brings something rigid against his hip. He looks back and swears at the sight of the small caliber pistol, tucked close to Lola. He can't bring himself to wonder if it's been fired recently. So, that's the game. Three minutes. Even if he calls the police, if they can get someone here in time, there's only one way this is going to look. The gun probably already has his prints on it. Harry snarls and flings his phone across the room. Here's $800 glass shatter against the wall, and with it, his only remotely possible means of telling anyone he's here. He huffs out a wheezing breath and knuckles the pain creeping into his chest. A neat, convenient package. Stiffly, he pulls the sheet from Lola's cold body. She's dressed for work. Cute red blouse, sleek creased black slacks, black stockings. Her shoes are gone. With uneasy fingers, Harry tugs the slacks downward and pulls the blouse up. He skirts the edges of her panties and her bra, but can't bring himself to go further. Aside from the hole in her temple, there's not an obvious mark on her. It's a joke, right? It's a sick joke. It has to be. He can't... Within the dead woman's abdomen, something begins to beep. Oh God, it's not a joke. 
Harry whines between his teeth. This isn't happening. This is not happening. Conrad said three minutes. How many seconds has it been? He scrabbles the set of knives and fumbles the largest one loose. If he strains, he can just reach Lola's bare belly. Sweat pearls on his forehead and plunks onto his rumpled, damp back shirt. God damn it, why isn't he left-handed? The beeps get louder. He has to do this. He has to. Oh God, I'm gonna die. He wraps his hand around the hilt of the knife and prods the skin of Lola's abdomen. He has no idea where the device is inside her body cavity. No idea where to cut or how deep. What if there's bone in the way? Will a steak knife go through bone? He presses, dents the flesh. Harry whimpers. He can't do this. He can't. She didn't deserve this. He yanks at the cuff around his wrist and howls. If only he could get it off. He could run. Make a break for it. Take his chances. He eyed the knife in his hand. Drops it. Picks up a thinner one. Maybe he does have a chance. Harry shoves the smaller knife between his wrist and the cuff. It only makes a thin white scrape on his skin. And he grits his teeth. And saws. The skin reddens and parts. He yowls and cuts deeper. A wet scream slipping through his teeth. Watching blood roll from the wound. It dots his trousers, hot and slick. And makes his vision go starry. But he drops the knife and grabs the cuff, rocking it, coating it in his blood, pulling his fingers together, tucking his thumb as close to his palm as he can. He pulls. The top of his hand rips open, ramming a scream past his lips. The cuff, it pops off. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Harry's voice is thin and breaking, but he's already heading for the door. He's got to move. He's got to try to get away. Wrecked hand slipping on the knob, shoulder to the wood. The door swings open and Harry stumbles, crashing knees first to the floor, shouting as he catches himself on his injured hand. He scrambles upright, grabbing at the wall and trailing a red handprint, trying not to skid on the aging parquet beneath his feet. He glances over his shoulder. The room door is gone. What the hell? Harry stares at the blank space in the wall where the door had been. Aside from a water stain on the ceiling that's reaching down to the peeling wallpaper, there's nothing. Dizzily, he looks down at the splatters on the parquet. He sways. He's bleeding. He's bleeding a lot. But nothing's exploded. He takes a deep breath and blows it out, steadying himself, pulling the right sleeve of his shirt as far down over his hand as it'll go, holding it in place with his free hand. He can make it to the ER. He just has to get out of here. And when I see Conrad again... I'm beating the hell out of him. Harry takes a few unsteady steps, reaches the end of the hallway, and turns. He's in a lobby. Funny, he's been in this hotel before, at an alcohol-blurred conference a year and a half ago, and while it had been run down then, he doesn't remember this shabby chic look. The floor had been tile, not dull wood flanked by tattered carpet. The light fixtures hadn't been brass. There hadn't been a wicker sofa across from the front desk, and the desk hadn't looked so big. No guest book, no service bell. He glances around. This place looks less like the Bonheur Hotel and more like one of those old abandoned apartment buildings downtown that's been scheduled for upgrading for 20 years. The elevator's even constructed with a cage around it, 
like the one he'd seen in Hungary on his last vacation. Harry shakes his head. Whatever he's been dosed with, it's still messing with him. He just needs to get out of here and get some fresh air and calm down. He can see the front doors. Good. Just a little further and he can get patched up and start putting Conrad's sick prank far behind him. He reaches for the door. Harry? Buddy, you don't want to go out there. He whirls around. There's a man in dark clothing approaching from the direction of the elevator he'd just passed, carrying a briefcase. Harry backs up against the closed doors, breaking out in fresh sweat, mouth parchment dry. Who are... what? Look. The stranger pulls Harry to one side of the double doors, out of easy sight. Look down the street and tell me what you see. Harry squints. He doesn't see anything remarkable at first. Then, a black car down the street moves a little. Only one person he knows has a jag like that. He exhales. <sighs> Conrad. Come to get me. He's actually keeping his word. He grasps a door handle, but the stranger pulls him back. Is that really what you think? Harry scowls at him. Look, buddy, I don't know who you are or what you're doing in here either, but... Think about what happened to Lola. The strange man says it grimly, and Harry's pulse bounds. Kurtz. This guy belongs to Kurtz. I'm not making it out of here, am I? It's not a question. In response, the stranger takes his arm carefully and pries him away from the doors. You can. That's why I'm here. But there's really someone you need to see first. The man with the briefcase calls himself Tom. He's lanky and sandy-haired and completely harmless-looking, which doesn't reassure Harry a bit. Tom leads him back toward the elevator. There's a light coming from inside the cage now, and it's green. They have to wait for the car to descend. I used to be in your position once, Tom remarks almost idly. Got caught doing something I shouldn't. I was fortunate. I got a second chance. <laughs> is that what this is? Harry scoffs. At least his hand has stopped bleeding. Some kind of second chance? The elevator chimes and the door is pulled open from within. Well, Harry, I'd say that's up to you. Tom grins in recognition. Harry just gapes. A small girl in a purple velvet dress and neat black Mary Janes leans in the elevator's open doorway, smiling up at him. The green light glints in her eyes and folds around the edges of the little wooden box she's holding in one hand. Oh, Tommy, you found him! The girl scolds, shaking her blonde curls. Harry, I was really starting to think you wouldn't get out of that room in time. She touches Harry's gory sleeve with a forefinger and makes a small noise of disgust. Blood's ever so hard to get out of the carpet here. Harry blinks, trying not to keep staring. The kid looks like she belongs in one of those old abandoned apartment buildings downtown. Who are you? What is this? Oh, how rude of me. The girl holds out a small hand, though Harry doesn't take it. My name is Victoria, and this, if you choose to take it, is your second chance, Harry. She moves aside to let the two men board the elevator. Tom shifts his briefcase to the other hand and eyes the control panel's worn buttons. But first, there's a little demonstration you need to sit through. Let's call it consequences. Harry watches the elevator door close and tries to swallow the anxious lump that's settled in his throat. Consequences. He doesn't like the sound of that at all. Meanwhile, Tom just deadpans. Your floor, madam? 
Victoria's eyes gleam emerald. Four. When the door opens onto the fourth floor, Harry expects to be looking down a hallway. Instead, he finds himself facing a single near-dark room that holds only a table and three chairs, lit by a dim naked yellow bulb that hangs from the ceiling on a chain. Across from the table, a torn and mended projection screen wilts against the wall. Victoria takes his good hand and leads him to the middle chair, while she and Tom take the seats to either side. The girl fiddles with her odd wooden box. It has a winding key, Harry notices, like an old-fashioned music box, and then sets it on the table, opening it. But instead of music, green light pours out, forming an image on the worn projection screen. The image is black and white. Harry shakes his head. Dope and blood loss, he mutters. Or maybe I am dying and this is all just my imagination. I'm not imagining all the blood you left on my floor, Victoria points out. You're not dying, Harry. Quite the contrary. I just want you to see a few events that have come about from your dip into the company too. Kurtz. Harry can't help thinking of him. This is all part of the prank, isn't it? His boss is behind this somehow, taunting him. Little girl. Victoria. She corrects almost absently, tapping the side of her box. Now please, be quiet and watch. Like an old film, the image on the screen snaps to life. Harry stares. He's watching Lola walk into the company parking garage toward her car. Seeing her alive, seeing her moving, he realized he'd walk past her office nearly every day. Lola gets to her car and stops. Someone else appears in the frame, and though Harry only sees the man from behind, he spots the hair and knows it's Conrad. Harry grimaces. Conrad has raised an arm, waving at Lola. There's no sound, but he must have spoken because she's turned away from unlocking her car to look up toward him, smiling uncertainly. Conrad walks up to her, all smiles. Whatever he's saying, she's listening attentively. When Conrad gestures away from the two of them, Lola's gaze follows his movement. When she turns back, he shoots her in the head. Harry winces. The look he gets from Victoria isn't entirely sympathetic. Because of you, Harry. You were right. She didn't deserve it. She gives her box's winding key a turn, and the movie stills, then morphs into another image. But let's see this one too. As the scene begins to play, Harry doesn't recognize the setting at first. A man stands against a railing. Then the camera? It's filmed somehow, right? Pans out a little, and Harry recognizes the guardrail of the bridge that runs through town, across the Townsend River. Why is this? He begins, and stops. Wait, that's Pete Sheffield. He was my assistant. He quit last month. Did he? Pete stands at the rail for a long moment, fidgeting from one foot to the other. Then a spasm of sick determination crosses his face, and he climbs over the side. Oh, Pete, Harry whispers. Pete, no! He didn't quit. He was fired. Victoria explains quietly. The box has begun to play music, tinny and disjointed. Because your Mr. Kurtz didn't recognize who was doing the dirty work at first. I was... I, I wasn't told, Harry stammers. He can't speak as he watches Pete go over the side, into the water, an impossibly tiny speck against the churn below. He just... he just stopped coming in. He quit. That's what everybody said. He had a family. 
Victoria answers. A wife, children, but he couldn't face them because of you. Harry shuts his eyes tight and tries to swallow. It all seemed such a good idea at the time, getting one over on old Kurtz, getting away with it. His dry mouth is filled with the taste of ash. I should have stayed in that room with Lola. Having regrets now? Victoria asks. She's winding the mechanism of her box again. Regret's good, you know. It shows you're learning. But just in case, remember when you were about to go outside to meet Conrad? Harry cringes. Of course he does. It's only been, what, a half hour ago? He'd smashed his phone in that hotel room. He has no idea what time it is. His voice is a croak. Show me. And there he is, at the front doors of this building, reaching for the door handle. Tom is nowhere in sight. He watches himself fling open the brass and glass door and dash out into the sunlight, just as Conrad's Jaguar approaches. The car slows. The driver's window lowers. Conrad grins, and the gun shoved in Harry's face is huge. Conrad pulls the trigger. Harry jerks back in his chair as the screen goes black. Twisting away from the sight of his own noiseless death, he's latched onto one arm of the chair with both hands, shaking madly. No. 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 He turns to Victoria. Is that how it's going to be if I walk out of here? Because Pete and Lola didn't deserve that. But his jaw clenches and he has to force the words out. I do. Victoria closes her music box. Its tune and its viridian light dwindle. Is that what you want? <laughs> no. He's crying now and doesn't care. No. No. The girl watches him for a long, long moment. Then she says, Tom? Harry turns nervously. Tom's been silent this whole time, but now he puts his briefcase on the table and opens it. People like you are my job, he says, lifting out a bundle of papers and spreading them out. Getting them away. Giving them new starts, new identities. Harry begins to recognize the pieces Tom's sorting out. Passport, driver's license, a printout of a house's floor plan from a real estate website. Like witness protection, huh? Can, can, can you keep Kurtz from finding me? Tom clips everything together in a neat stack and folds it into a pocket of his jacket. He closes the briefcase. That's up to you. I... Harry glances at Victoria and sees the ghost of a smile. I'd like to try. Then you'd better go with Tommy, she says, gesturing for him to stand. He'll get you out of here and patch up properly. And no one will know, Harry asks. No one but you. The girl stands and gives him a graceful little bow. Goodbye, Harry. Do better next time. For the first time in what feels like hours, his heart's not racing. Harry follows Tom out of the dark room and back into the elevator, back down to the lobby. This time, when Tom looks out the front doors, he motions for Harry to follow. There's no sign of Conrad. I'm safe. I'm going to be safe. At Harry's back, the doors close. He blinks in the strong sunlight, suddenly aware of a breeze rustling the back of his shirt, and turns around. He finds himself facing an empty lot, grass growing up alongside a red and white sign that says, Future Home of North Point Bank. Joseph Kurtz, developer. Come on, Tom says. Harry puts his head down to hurry after him and doesn't look back again.